Gustavo, um, who is a seasoned designer, um, currently working at uh, Volvo in Sweden. So welcome. Hello, Thank you. Gustavo. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the official introduction, anyways, for the for the thing. So, um, all right. Well, why don't we go ahead and start off, Gustavo? Um, just for everybody who might be listening. So, Gustavo uh, and I go back a number of years. Um, when, when he, uh, was right, I, and maybe you could tell us a little bit in a minute, but you started out designing in Brazil for, I think Volkswagen, if I remember correctly. Right. And then went to, um, went back to school to get a graduate degree. And then, uh, and then we tried to steal you over here and you were at Axis Design for a little while, but unfortunately we couldn't get the right, uh, visa f- to keep you. And so then you had to flee the country. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, anyway, so um, so that's kind of how uh, Gustavo and I know each other. And then, you know, we've kind of been able to um, hook back up on occasion here over the years. But um, anyway, so why don't you go ahead and that, that's my uh, that's my version of your history. So why don't you go ahead and fill us in on the, the rest? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I guess. Uh, then recapping on the background, I started with um, a bachelor degree in industrial design back in Brazil then, where I was, was born and raised. And uh, my my intent was always to work with uh, vehicles. Uh, that was always uh, how I got interested on design and I would sketch cars by myself uh, since I was a kid. And and that's that's how I ended up in that kind of education. Well, once I I got into the design education per se, I, I just understood that there was so much more to design than just the aesthetic part of it, uh, which you normally get a little bit more on consumer products like a car, for example. So uh, I started getting more interested the more that I learned, the more that I studied, more interested on the on design pieces or objects that are both requiring the aesthetic side, but very heavy on, on functionality and, and regulatory needs by, by that means. Because uh, I, I always felt that when you achieve a strong design result in those contexts, it's a lot more gratifying than on, on, a, on a piece that you have more freedom, if you put it that way. So um, during, uh, during my studies back in Brazil, I, my first job was uh, at Volkswagen Trucks, in fact, 
that was it was an internship, in fact. So I started in there and got exposed to to that world. And uh, and after graduating, I I started I worked for a little a few years in in Brazil in different areas, uh, consulting for some startups, and also working on a design agency that did everything from uh, POP point of purchase uh, and consumer products to uh, uh, blisters and and graphics and things like that. So I really tried to expose myself to as much as I could and very early on uh, in my career to to really get a broader view uh, of design. So uh, after that, I, I decided it was a time for, for a change and, and really get a different perspective of the world or maybe a different philosophy on, on design per se as well. And that's how I ended up in Sweden to start with. So I did my master's in design. Uh, in Sweden at uh, HDK, uh, School of Design in Gothenburg. And it was uh, a really amazing experience because it was a, a truly multidisciplinary course. We had uh, people going from fabric and graphic design all the way to transportation and product in between in the same class. So it was a, it was a very good mix and you get to learn uh, from many different people, from all nationalities. It was a, it was a truly global uh, class in that sense. And uh, after graduating from, from the master's, that's how I ended up in there, then uh, in Austin, uh, working at Axis then, right? Um, so uh, we did some, uh, some work beforehand, uh, right then, uh, over uh, online and exchanging uh, SCACs over email and so. And then, and then I was really excited to to move to the US and and uh, took that jump. Uh, unfortunately, was shorter than I expected, uh, for all the the reasons that you mentioned in there before. But then, in that context, I got to come back to Sweden then, and and here starting at Volvo, and that was then uh, end of 20, uh, 2008, uh, where I have been since then. But. Uh, the, the really fascinating aspect of working with Volvo, which is still gets me very excited, is that being Volvo Group have very many dimensions of uh, of uh, of designs because of the business areas that we have. So we we go from construction equipment to buses to marine applications to trucks, and uh, I really took the the opportunity to be part of uh, all of those uh, developments. So uh, I have taken different roles during these 13 years at Volvo uh, and had the chance to work with basically all the business areas and, and other brands as well, not only Volvo brands, um, living in different uh, locations as well. I have uh, spent time in Sweden, where is my base? I spent four years in Shanghai, uh, heading the studio uh, in Shanghai for Volvo Group. Spent some time in France as well in the Renault Trucks studio and uh, back in the US in North Carolina where we have the studio for Volvo Trucks North America and Mac. And I was design director for Mac uh, during my time in the US as well. So uh, I, have, I have had a, a, a very uh, fortunate opportunity to really expose myself to all these different areas, learn a lot. And, uh, and develop myself as a, not only as a designer, I would say, but most important as a, as a, as a design leader uh, to really be able to share this experience with the team and, and help them through that journey as well. And since returning to, to Sweden the last time, which was 2008 then, 
I came back as design director for Volvo CE, and now I accumulate that with uh, the role as design director for Volvo Trucks, which I'm leading globally then. That's basically my life uh, in, in a nutshell. Wow, fantastic, <laughs> yeah. fantastic. Very cool. Uh, so that's what you do some of the time, and the rest of the time you're chasing uh, how many kids around? Oh, only one. It's only it's, a, it's an easy job. <laughs> only one kid, and she's okay. very behaved, so I cannot okay. complain. All right. All right. <laughs> so you you started obviously you started in Brazil. So um, I'm always interested with designers that are kind of like moving around globally, uh, changing global locations, which is quite. Uh, I think like. Of course, when I started off, that wasn't really something that was the norm. I think now it, maybe it's a little bit more normal for people to really look look across the sea for jobs. Uh, what was that? What was that experience like? You know, really, you know, being a new person, you're going to a new country, new things, and you're going in, into a, a design atmosphere. You know, what 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 was the impetus behind that? Was that just so that you could? I guess maybe see more of the world and experience design from a different perspective than just being kind of in one one location. Yeah, I mean, uh, every time I move, and I, I have moved a lot over the years now, it's it's not only uh, uh, enriching professional experience, but also personal. You you meet new friends, uh, you understand the new cultures, and it's very different living in a new location compared to visiting it, and uh, you. Once you're there and you really go through the the local bureaucracies and the local routines and you understand how people go about things, you, you really get uh, a new perspective. And the the most important lesson that I have learned uh, every time that I move is that when you are an outsider, you can see things that locals have taken for granted and they, they don't really understand that that's what has set them apart. This is what really makes that local culture unique. And when you come fresh without understanding it, you're actually able to notice that uh, in, in a more clear way. And I think what that has helped me in terms of design is that when you are about to design something for a particular local market or really trying to emphasize uh, something for that customer base, you you can clearly relate this this new learning knowledge into the design and and really translate that into something that makes them unique. So it it becomes uh, more meaningful. It's less decorative. It, it becomes less about um, how it looks, but it more about what it means. And uh, being an outsider is is very uh, makes it simpler. To uh, to understand that based on, on the culture that you embed on. So, uh, global design director for trucking. Global trucks, yes. What are some of the big obstacles that you guys are facing right now in this industry, or if, if you whatever you can share, like what are the big challenges, the big the big pain points that you guys are are trying to go yeah. and uh, figure out? I, I think it's it's a relevant question, but I wouldn't refer to that as challenge or pain point. I would refer more as the fun that we're going through that right now because uh, we are really in a context 
of uh, what we normally refer to as the, the perfect storm. It's a, it's a very unique combination of technology shifts in, in different areas. It is, of course, uh, uh, digitalization and the, the servicification of things, how people will consume the products and how that actually uh, changes the logistic uh, value chain out there. But it's also changed in the, in the products themselves with uh, electrification, um, uh, automation, uh, hydrogens, uh, fuel cells, and all of that is actually changing the way that we approach the vehicle, in this case, uh, the truck, and how people will consume it. So it's a, it's a, a perfect timing for a designer to be in this industry because now it's really the time that you actually can make uh, an impactful change in society because the ways that we're going to deliver the future trucks that we are working on right now is not only about how they look, it's really how people are going to use and how this is going to benefit society as a whole. And it's a fantastic time to be in the industry. Yeah, I guess with all these you know, what somewhat revolutionary changes, right? In, in a lot of ways, you kind of have to throw out the old playbook and you get to reinvent what the future will be. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there is, a, there is an aspect in here that is super important that uh, maybe it's taken for granted sometimes, which is we have this opportunity to do a shift and really... Uh, incorporate new technologies and new way of doing things that we will take full advantage of. But we, we cannot underestimate either how complex the logistic industry is, and especially the trucking industry, how complex those products are. And uh, getting, getting a truck to run is one thing. Putting a truck together is one thing. Getting it to run consistently and durably over time to cover all the variations, all the segmentations that you have uh, in the industry with all the different applications that we have, it's it's a daunting um, task. And the, the credibility that we have uh, as a company on having been doing this for almost 100 years, uh, it cannot be taken for granted. We have a lot of uh, startups coming up and... Uh, and working particularly on electric trucks and things like that. And fair enough, we I think we welcome all this competition because it helps moving the, the market forward and the industry forward as well, and it's great. But we cannot underestimate how complex it is to make those trucks actually built to last over time. And I think this is where uh, Volvo Trucks in particular plays a, a really strong uh, role that we can incorporate the new technologies, but bringing along this uh, this experience, this know-how that we have in the area. So, so for you as um, being the leader of the design team for that particular segment, have you found that this is a good opportunity to uh, help elevate your team and, and maybe uh, push it in more of a leadership role, or have you? I guess, how has it changed the dynamics, let's say, in Volvo in terms of the design team and how the team relates to other groups? Oh, uh, I think the, the main mindset shift for the team itself is really to, to try to understand the context 
of how these new technologies will impact users down the line, and we're talking 10 years from now, how people will actually be using and interacting with these products. Uh, if we look back 10 years ago, uh, our UX department were, were very small, very incipient. And if we look for the next 10 years, it's definitely going to be the, the largest area of our team actually creating these digital interfaces and service integration, third-party integrations that really going to facilitate the usage of the vehicle down the line. So it's, it's a lot more about the total experience of, of the truck rather than just how it looks. Uh, which, by the way, it's going to remain important um, as we go along. There's no question about it. The, the, the brand image and the perception that people will have on the, on the exterior design of the truck, for example, is, is still going to be really important. But the experience is really going to be the game changer. And uh, that's where these new technologies will enable us. And, and the, the challenge for the team itself, which is the, the process that we're going on right now, is really being able to, to absorb all of this information and really being able to forecast how, how are we actually going to be packaging this to the customer. So it's, it's a formidable challenge for, for the team to, to tackle and everybody's really excited about it. Is, um, does the UX team roll underneath your umbrella as a part of your organization or is that a separate team? No, it's part of uh, our organization, Within Design. So, uh, what the way that we we organize the Volvo Trucks design team is we have a exterior design team, interior, UX, and service design. And uh, service design being more about the the methodology and how do we actually go about understanding the ecosystems of the, the products that we're going to create. So that's where a lot of the insight and a lot of the knowledge that will feed the product itself is, is uh, enhanced. Yeah. When you guys use service design, how, how many designers are you talking about and what types of individuals are those? Because there's, there's, I believe, only one university in the U.S. that actually offers a service design degree, and that's SCAD. I don't know if any right. other universities have it. I don't, I'm not sure about the rest of the world, but that's an interesting yeah, we area. Have, yeah, yeah. We, we have a lot more in Europe, I would say. I wouldn't know the number, but uh, we okay. in Sweden alone, we, we definitely have at least three large universities in the server design um, courses and competence. And uh, we have... Uh, have to say a small team still on, uh, on on service design, but it really varies depending on the the type of research and projects that we're doing. So we can we can fluctuate over the the course of a year, uh, but it it really is this competence uh, coming from service design uh, degrees uh, with uh, people that have the mindset of more not solving a problem, but really being able to frame what is the right issue at hand? And, and I, that's the real key of the service design methodology for us, is that when we go about something, we, we really frame the, the problem that we have to resolve in the right way, and we understood the consequence for it to the customer. And then it goes through the design process on, on how we actually deliver that into a physical product or a digital interface or whatever it is. But it's about framing the need in the right manner and uh, that we we have initiated service design as a as a profession within our organization maybe in the last 
three to four years. And uh, I don't think we can ever go back of not having that competence in the team. It's uh, it's really a game changer for us. I bet. I, I, I might want to take some questions with you offline in regards to that. Um, Absolutely. And I think we could probably share more information since we're not in competing industries um, with more details. I'm, I'm really curious about that. I'm really curious about how you guys do that and how you develop that team. Uh, because it's something that I see for us at Dell, you know, we're working on things very similar to that, but we do not have anything related to service design. It's really more, we're talking more about it as, as service. Um, but there's no, I don't really know the right way to say it without saying things that I can't say. Um, but I, I think more, you're, you're we look at it more from a marketing perspective versus mm, like right. what's the problem. Right. No, but I think you, you're touching on, on the right uh, topic in there, Tony, because this this was our uh, journey as well. When we started this is that when we when we started bringing the service design competency and then, okay, now we have service designers in the team. And we start getting questions from other functions and, and from other stakeholders like, oh, so now you deliver services as well. Your commercial organization delivers services. And of course, that's not the point. So the, the way that has uh, landed the best for us is to explain uh, service design as a methodology, not as a delivery, right? And if we use that methodology to really frame what are we trying to achieve and what is the real problem that we're trying to solve, then the entire organization benefits from it. And it, uh, the, our experience is that all the stakeholders, all the colleagues that get exposed to that or participate on a research uh, led by service design, that they all come back and say, that's how we should do all our research. All of our investigation should be that way because then everybody sees the benefits. What, what's your uh, research team like that, that you have? Like, obviously you guys are going to be doing some ethnographic research and, and are you, are you doing that in house? Is it, are you using outside firms or a combination of the two? Uh, and, and how, I don't know if you can tell us, but how much ethnographic research do you do in regards to the, the, you know, the, your final users as well as, um, I guess, systems where your trucks may come in and out of um, warehouses, whatnot. How, how do you, how yeah, do, you no, guys I, do that? Uh, it needs to be a, a combination for us at the moment because it's an area that is still growing. So the, the in-house critical mass is relatively small, but then we, we can use uh, outside support from agencies or consultants, uh, individual consultants here and there to actually support us on the work, right? Um, at the moment, we are more interested on the on the big picture of things and and how how the world is look is gonna look like ten years from now when when all these technologies are deployed in the products. How how does our uh, ecosystem looks? How does our cities look like? How how is transportation in the in the long haul context uh, operated? Rather than looking at individual customers or or drivers, so we. At the moment, we're looking more at the, the big picture of things. And then as, as we evolve and we're getting closer to an actual 
product, then of course we need to look more on the archetypes, the persona types, uh, on on the different usages of the product itself. But at the moment is to understand basically how the world is going to change with this perfect storm of uh, technology shift. Now I have a changing a little bit of topics. You mentioned um, about you know companies are interested or at least in, in your particular case, Volvo is interested in you know, maintaining that brand identity. But I see a lot of, um, not specifically to Volvo, but a lot of, let's say, new EV manufacturers or existing manufacturers. And it seems like um, their approach to designing a vehicle is completely different, and it seems to be deviating from their original uh, brand language or brand identity. For example, like if you look at, I don't know if you've seen the latest Mercedes electric vehicle, it's like that could be a Kia. It just has a Mercedes badge or it's, it's completely, it seems like companies are completely deviating in this search for this new interaction, new uh, technology. Um, it's a lot of companies, at least from what I've seen, uh, seem to be have losing that that brand identity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I prefer not to not to talk about the brands in specific, but I think your your questioning there is uh, really relevant because I think that comes down to what I pointed before in terms of credibility. It's how much credibility you as a brand have to actually convey the brand image that is needed to be able to market new technologies, electromobility and so on. And uh, it also depends on how confident you are as a brand and how much have you prepared over time to, to actually do this shift. Because uh, if it has been a brand that has been very rooted on a, on a particular design language and, and doing just incremental changes from generation to generation, it becomes a more daunting question now when you have to do a bigger jump that maybe that incremental change is not going to cut anymore. But if if you have been a brand that over time has really dared to be progressive, has really tried to every time, yes, we stay true to our, or our heritage, to our brand image, but we dare to push the envelope. When, when we launch these new technologies, maybe it's seen that that jump is not as big for us because we have been preparing that over the last decades, right? So I think it's it, it's very much about uh, how much confidence can can a certain brand archetype carry when they have to offer something new that hasn't been in the portfolio before. I mean, I guess your point, Aaron, is some some brands are. I hate to use this word, but but they're almost taking it as a gimmick. Right. And so it has to be so extremely different than maybe what they've done yeah. or, you know, to Gustavo's point, like they're not confident in what they've done because there's, um, you know, if you look at Porsche's electric car, yeah. like it's still I mean, that's there's no doubt about what that is. Right. It's not like some ridiculous other electric cars that we've seen that don't even look like anything that they've done in, in any of the other uh, any of their other products. So. Um, I think that's a that's a tough I think that's a tough uh, task with any brand when you have something new that comes out that's that is 
allegedly industry changing and it and it should be is like do you take it do you do such a such an extreme skew from what you've been doing or do you sort of maintain you know your heritage and the dna that that, that you have uh within the design and continue to maintain what you've done i, I think that's a tough challenge because because it, it's it's when you sort of talk to the marketers and 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 those types of people they're always very excited about like, well, it's got to have some extra thing, right? They want some extra thing to it. And it's, and I think, Gustavo, what it sounds like, what you're getting at, it's like, well, it's more, it's more about the experience. It's not just the thing that it has. Like it shouldn't have a mohawk. It needs to have some meaning behind it, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and again, it, it depends on what the brand stands for. And we, we can say that, Maybe in that aspect, it is a, is a very good uh, setting for Volvo because Volvo always is stood for humanistic values. It's, it's about the human behind all the activities and the products that we use. And what we always evolve over time is, uh, is the context in which that human is going to have to operate. And we, we deliver the best products for that customer to be able to operate in that new environment. But it's always about the the human in the end of the day and the technology is really the enabler for us to make life easier uh, to that individual to to that person uh, so if i would say without again without mentioning any brands that if it has been a brand that has stood for for soft values for for humanistic aspects of things this is a much easier transition if it has been a brand that has stood for materialistic or, or purely technological uh, aspects on what the brand value is, it, it's going to be more of a challenge. I think um, especially for for what you do, it's, it is very relevant um, because what I see is, let's say these companies that are deviating too much from their, from their design language or from what people are used to, they're you know, there's people that are very skeptical about electric electrification, you could call it. And that makes it even a bigger barrier, you could call it. And my dad's in the trucking business and he buys his trucks. He actually really likes Volvo tra trucks, by the way. Uh, I was going to ask that. So, okay, <laughs> he, that's good. He buys <laughs> the equipment, uh, not... not I mean, obviously, function is number one, but he likes what he, he buys, what he likes. Um, he's very particular about, you know, the trailers that he gets, the colors, the the truck. You know, if he has to like, even if he's not going to drive it, he has to like it. So, and it seems like, um, especially people in the in the, I mean, I don't want to stereotype, but people in the trucking business are very particular and kind of old school in a way that if you come here and give them a truck that is like completely like night and day to what they're used to they there might be hesitation or a barrier there that's just what i see yeah i mean i think you know to gustavo's point you know the there's such a strong brand from from the volvo trucks that you should be able to overcome uh, so i'm i'm i kind of imagine and i know dan you bought an electric car and you probably like as electric cars were coming out and and i look at you know various vehicles that i may or may not want to buy but when the first electric vehicles came out they were really goofy 
Like they, there was nothing about any of them that I would want to buy because I felt like they were a little bit too gimmicky and they just looked too childish. But then you have the Tesla, which is pretty sexy. It's like, okay, that's a legit car. Like I could fit my family in that car, not just me. It's not a clown car. And, and like Jeep now has a, an, e, an EV Jeep, Rubicon. So I can buy the exact same Jeep that I drive with a dual hybrid motor. And there's no like, it's, it's a legit vehicle. There, there's no change. They just put some batteries in it. And that's, I think maybe I'm, I'm too old, but at least from my point of view, like that, I think that's what people want. Like they're willing to accept that, but not the, the little clown car, sure. you know? Yeah, I think that that goes through the the classic uh, adoption curve, right? We have the innovators, the early adopters, the early majority, and and the laggers, and and I think this is very much the the same context. I mean, if you look at uh, electric cars in particular, uh, they go back a long way, and uh, probably the Saturn EV1, it's it's the first proper reference of a uh, uh, intended mass-produced uh, electric vehicle, and you had to look in a certain way to really captivate for these early adopters or the innovators that really wanted to go out there and, and show people that we're using a new technology. And look at me, I'm driving an electric vehicle, even if maybe this is not the most uh, um, well-proven technology yet, or maybe it's not super reliable, but there is a message around that. And uh, And then over the years, that has been... Um, taken down into the hybridification instead. And then there was a, a, a new identity around hybridifications. And if you look at uh, early 2000s, all the hybrid cars, they looked exactly the same. There was a certain roof uh, line that you had to respect to be seen as a, as a hybrid car. Otherwise, it wouldn't be hybrid, right? Um, up to the point that takes you to 2012, when Tesla really makes a statement on, on the Model S. And that is actually based on the fact that they didn't try to make an electric looking car, uh, the way I see it. They just tried to make a good looking car for that time. And the point being, look, it's a good car. And by the way, it's electric because now the technology is stable enough. So you don't have to overplay that aspect. And I think when you get to that point, then you can be more true to what you have stood rather than try to emphasize a, a certain technology or, or a gimmick like you mentioned before, yeah. right? Yeah, very cool. All right, well, Gustavo, we're running up on uh, the time that we said we would stick with in, so... Um, what... I like to talk, so uh, you have to stop <laughs> me. <laughs> well, no, we'll, 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 well, maybe we'll try to do this again. Well, I, I, I want to I, I ask one, one question before we get into kind of the final wrap-ups. Okay. So you've done heavy equipment, right? You, you said you've designed heavy yes. equipment like tractors and things like that. I've always wanted to design a tractor, always. I've always wanted to do it. I, I think those are the coolest like pieces of Like a tractor of, for like a farm like a tractor? Big, a big industrial tra a tractor that you see on highways. Okay, like with construction. A, with a, a, like a backhoe. Yeah, everything. Right, like a construction so equipment, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think yeah. that is like the coolest product yeah. that you could ever get your hands on <laughs> to design because it's almost insect-like, but it has wheels and, and it has this very specific function, yeah. right? Like in bugs, right? Like if you think like ants or beetles, they kind of like 
you know, they kind of, they don't do a lot of things. They just kind of do whatever it is they do and their body's kind of made to do that thing. I have always loved tractors. I, and maybe that's because, you know, when I was a little kid, I had the little Tonka toys, but I, I always thought that was really cool. I, I would love to design one of those. Yeah. Cool. So Gustavo, so I've, 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 I've never done tractors myself because uh, Volvo do, doesn't do farm tractors, but a lot of construction equipment, of course. Uh, and I have worked on them uh, from different angles. I have been uh, a designer, a chief designer and a design director for, for construction equipment. And, um, I, I really sympathize to what you're saying there because it is extremely fun to work with construction equipment. And uh, linking to the point that I mentioned in the very beginning in there is that, and I normally tell um, uh, students or, or candidates when, uh, when I'm interviewing them is that I promise you that it's so much more gratifying. It's, it's so, you feel so much more proud when you when you come out with a good looking and a representative excavator or a wheel loader or a articulator hauler because it was so much harder to get that done than if you would have done a nice car a, a, a nice a good looking car in a way is almost the expectation a car needs to look good for anybody to even uh, consider buying it right but an excavator is in the middle of a pit nowhere making digging and uh and what does they stand for what do people can relate but it's it's a lot about the pride there is a lot of competence and a lot of knowledge on on operators of construction equipment and there is there is a pride to it that you need to respect and uh we, we've been very fortunate that uh, volvo has always invested on on design in this field and uh uh, we are, we're normally regarded as uh, the leading brand in terms of design in the construction uh, field. And that, that is uh, something that we really take to heart and we really put a lot of effort on make them right because the amount of skill that goes into operating uh, construction equipment can, cannot be overlooked. And we need to reward the customers with uh, good design, a good brand image, a good interface that makes their job uh, easier and uh, uh, that it's a fantastic industry to be in that not many people is even aware of to be honest yeah no it, well what the way you're describing it is very similar to when I was designing medical equipment it, it's kind of the same thing mm. you've got these operators yes. they have a certain level of skill there's some pride that goes into it plus you're trying to make the workflow better I mean there's a lot of things mm. it's about you know what they're doing versus the, what it is right mm. Yeah, very, and I, very, very I cool. can tell you a, a very quick story. The, the first time that I started with construction equipment, uh, one of the things that you have to do is that go to a go to a, a field and, and test the machines, right? You need to operate them. You need to know where you, you're working with. So uh, we have a, a site, a Volvo site, where we test our machines and so. And I went there, very proud, uh, young designer, and I jumped into a, a wheel loader. And uh, I immediately, I'm telling you, in, in one minute, I come in, I understood the, the, the controls very quickly, and I start digging the pile and uh, moving earth. And I was like, wow, I'm really good at it. <laughs> and then, uh, I, I, then one of my colleagues uh, out there were waving to me. And, and then I stopped the machine and then opened the door, and he came, and, and I was like, 
oh, you see how, how I am? I just jumped at it and I read no. And it's like, yes, and you burned five times more fuel than you should. That's not how you operate. <laughs> and, and the point is that it's very easy to jump in there and actually get the thing running. But doing it well and doing it efficiently and doing it consistently day in, day out, it is demands a lot of skill. And it demands us to do uh, to simplify the interface continuously so that the operators can do an even better job. So it, it, it's a very fascinating area. All right. So, uh, in, all right. In closing, what if you had to give one piece of advice to um, you know someone either in design school, kind of thinking about their career, or say someone just graduating now? Uh, what would that be? My my advice would be, design is very broad. There are so many opportunities out there. There's so many kinds of industries. So many different areas that you can get your teeth in. So really go for the area that you will take the most uh, fun out of it, that you're gonna enjoy the most. Don't don't go into an area of design just because uh, maybe that's in the media more often or there is more glamour or maybe you're better paid because over time that's gonna get old very, very quick. So really, dive into a design area that that you can that you can take pride out of it that you enjoy working on day in day out and if you're a young student or a young designer that you don't know what the area is yet don't make a commitment from day one really explore spend your first uh, three five years of your career trying different areas working uh, working in trucks for a little bit working in uh, computers and uh, try different things and then you learn, okay, this is this is really fun. I, I understand the challenge and I will enjoy doing this for, for a period of my life. And I, and I think that's that's what really matters. If, uh, if you're genuine about it and if you really do uh, design because it's something that you enjoy, you will have a, a very fruitful career. All right, excellent advice. Well, this, this, has been, this has been really great. I really appreciate your time, Gustavo. It's been really enlightening. Yeah, perfect. Ah, this is super fun. I, I appreciate uh, the invite, and uh, I'm definitely open to do it again because uh, this is something that on the day-to-day, -day, maybe you don't have time to stop and reflect and just talk freely about design. Uh, you guys know, uh, busy, busy calendars, but I, I really enjoy those kind of talks. And uh, anytime, just uh, get in touch, and we okay. do it again. Very good. Thank you so much, Gustavo. It's good seeing you and talking to you again. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. Yeah.